0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. Welcome. If you're a guest today, uh, my name is Bill, and um, I just want to invite you to make yourself at home. If I've not met you yet, I will be out... uh, there uh, by the exit, and uh, I'd love to get your name, and uh, if you have any questions, do whatever I can to try to answer those questions, and happy Palm Sunday. (laughs) Woo-hoo. Next week is Easter. Easter. I'm so excited about Easter. Every year, I get excited about it. Friday night, Good Friday, going to be a very sacred and special time here, and uh, just by the way, Some of you I know have uh, made it down to the Oakmont Community Sunrise Service in the past, and if you're planning on doing that this year, I'm sorry to say that there was a miscommunication and it is not happening this year. So I didn't want you to get down there and and, uh, be disappointed. It will be picked up again next year, but uh, the community in Oakmont won't be having that this year. So um, did you get outside yesterday? Wasn't that a glorious day? Oh, man, that was awesome. That was awesome. The scripture says, the heavens declare the glory of God and proclaim the work of his hands. What a glorious day it was. The whole earth, the scripture says, is full of the glory of God. <clears throat> That's what we're talking about, glory today and, and, and in this series that we are in And here's the thing, when we encounter God's glory, whether it be in nature, in beauty, maybe it's an act of heroism, or maybe a miraculous answer to prayer, our souls are instinctively drawn to God. That's what glory's about. It's about the work of God to draw us to God and draw us to be our better selves. This series, Spotlight, speaks of encounters with God's glory, and we're looking through John's Gospel as we see this. But, but John's Gospel really is um, the New Testament version of the book of Exodus in some ways. Because glory appeared in the story of Moses, if you remember your, your Hebrew scriptures, your Old Testament story. Glory in the biblical sense is this manifestation of God, it's light, it's smoke, it's the power of God. And, and in the story of Moses, God's glory in the burning bush, that fire in the burning bush was the manifestation of the glory of God. That's the first appearance we see that in scripture. And, and in the story of Moses, <clears throat> that, that fire, that glory in the bush woke Moses to the injustice of God's people who were suffering in Egypt as slaves. It was God's glory that led Moses <clears throat> and the people out of captivity. It was God's glory that stopped the attacking army as they were coming down on them. It was God's glory that directed the people through the uncertainties of the wilderness. It was God's glory that, that imparted to these people on Mount Sinai a new identity, a new name, and a new destiny for them. And so simply put, God's glory is the means God uses to transport you and transform you to a better place in your life. God's glory is the means God uses to transport you and transform you to a better place in your life. But that's not the end of the story about God's glory. God does this in your life and in my life so that you and I will make God's world a better place. You see, we want to hoard God's glory, but God's glory is something that is supposed to be going through us. It doesn't end with us. So I want to ask the question, who thinks you could use a good dose of the glory of God in your life these days? How many of you think our world could use a good dose of the glory of God these days. And so today on this Palm Sunday, we're asking the question, where can I encounter God's glory today? How can I experience this today? Would you pray with me real quickly, Lord? I pray for the light of your glory to shine in our hearts and lives here and now today. And so, God, we want to be receptive to it. We want to open our hearts to it. We want to be able to experience your presence in this place by virtue of your Holy Spirit. So, God, we know you're here. The question is, are we receptive to it? And I pray we will be. Amen. Amen. So, you see, God revealed God's glory to Moses but he couldn't reveal all of it for, for God told Moses that no one could see his face and live. But the Christian scriptures say this, when the time was right, God chose to fully reveal his glory and that's where John's gospel picks it up when it says in the preamble that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And John's Gospel makes clear what the Hebrew Scriptures reveal about the glory of God. Jesus far surpasses the good work that Moses accomplished by virtue of the image and glory of God in his time. Because here's the comparison, I want you to get this. Whereas Moses beheld the glory of God on Mount Sinai, and, and uh, 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 that, that glory on Mount Sinai, uh, we, the followers of Jesus, his disciples, beheld the glory of God in the person of Jesus. Jesus was glory incarnate, glory in the flesh. As Moses delivered the Israelites out of the chaos of slavery and brought them into their preferred destiny... Listen to what Jesus does. He redeems you and me from the chaos of our fallen nature. And he brings us to new life and hope for a better reality in our own lives. In the story of Moses, the glorious presence of God empowered Moses and Aaron to lead a nation. But the Spirit of God empowers Jesus' followers to lead a movement that will bless all the nations. We need a good dose of the glory of God in our world today. But here's the problem. We don't recognize it when we see it. We fail to recognize glory when we see it. Even in John's gospel, it says that the true light that gave light to everyone was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. If Jesus was the incarnation of the glory of God, a whole lot of people around the time of Jesus missed it. And I don't want you to miss it. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. This is the verdict, John says in chapter three. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Why do so many people miss it? Well, here's the thing. God's glory surfaces incognito. It comes to us in disguise. And it's usually in retrospect that we realize we were in the presence of something glorious. Let me try to illustrate it. A little boy's dad says, hey, you don't have to go to school tomorrow. It's opening day. And he takes them out of school, and dad and son go down to the ballpark, and they buy their popcorn, and they buy their Coke, and they have a great time. Opening day, the stadium's full. This thing lodges in the mind of that little boy. It was a great day, no doubt. The little boy enjoyed it. It was a special day for him, but it's only now he is a father, and it's opening day, and he remembers that. And he says, you know what? That wasn't just a special day. That was a glorious day. And that's the kind of dad I want to be now to my daughters as they're growing up. You see, the glory of that day did something in that boy to help direct him to be the person that God would want him to be for his children. It's only in retrospect that he realized the glory of that moment. And in the same way, I think there are God moments in our life that we experience But we don't realize it at the moment that it was a glorious life-altering or life-defining moment for us. And it's something that shapes us to be the people that God wants us to be. That's what glory does. It's the work of God to make you into the person and direct you to the person that you want to be. Because glory always points us in the direction that God wants us to go. But glory happens incognito. We don't recognize it. It's disguised. And there's no greater story of glory incognito than the story of the triumphal entry. John talks about that in in chapter four of his gospel. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem for the final week. And as he's entering into Jerusalem, the people that heard about the miracle of Lazarus coming back to life are all spreading the news. And Jesus has this, this instant fame and People are hearing about that. And, um, woo! glad I'm not out there right now. Let me... So as Jesus, with this crowd of people hearing about this miracle-working rabbi coming into town... He asked for a, for a donkey that he could ride on as he goes into town, and the people, well, let's just read the text. It says here in John chapter 12, try to hear me if you can. <clears throat> if you're listening on the podcast, there's a huge rainfall outside, and it's beating on the roof here, so we can't hear very well. So here it says in John's gospel, beginning verse 12, it says, the next day a great crowd had come for the festival what was the festival it was the customary festival of passover week and all the things that go along with that so the crowd had come for the festival they had heard that jesus was on his way into jerusalem and so they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord Blessed is the king of Israel. You've got to understand these people believing that this could be their coming king. It goes on and it says, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And notice what the scripture says here. At first... His disciples did not understand all of this. They didn't recognize it. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had to be written about him and that these things had been done to him. So what was it that they did not understand at the time? They didn't understand that freedom and salvation that Jesus brings wasn't for them alone. Let me talk about this. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem wasn't a quiet affair, as you can see. Palm branches being being waved. These were typically used, they were elements for the Feast of Tabernacles. They were a symbol of salvation for the Jewish people. Salvation was the word on their minds and on their lips. And, and, and echoes of Psalm 118 where it says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord for the house of the Lord. We bless you. And so by shouting Hosanna, the people are saying, we need a savior. We need somebody to come and rescue us. What did they need to be rescued from? Well, they need to be rescued from the, uh, the oppressor, the enemy the Roman government that had taken control of them and basically was, was putting a heavy thumb on them, taxing them heavily to support all of Caesar's building projects and, and to help support the army that was supposed to maintain peace. And isn't that always ironic how armies are there to maintain peace, you know, weapons of war to make sure we, we keep peace. Well, peace for those who have the weapons, of course. The fact of the matter is they were being oppressed by Rome and they thought that, you know, there was going to be a Messiah. This was the promise of, the, of, of all the prophets, the, you know, a son of David, this messianic king is going to come, and he's going to raise up a military, raise up a rebellion, and they're going to fight, and they're going to defeat Rome, and they're going to have their own freedom, and they're going to be their own nation, and they get to set their own rules and keep their own taxes, and so that's what they hoped for. That's what they were shouting, Hosanna, save us. They were looking for liberty and victory over their corrupt leaders, over their oppressors. They weren't interested in personal salvation. It wasn't about, I need to be forgiven for my sins. It was about, how can we conquer the enemy, and we need somebody that's going to lead us, and man, why not get a miracle worker, right? And, and let's get the miracle worker, because that's what we need, is a miracle for this to happen, So what the crowds missed was this understanding, really, of why Jesus came. He really didn't come to start a rebellion and lead a military victory. But he did come to establish a kingdom. But it was an incognito kingdom. It was a kingdom in disguise. It was a hidden kingdom. And this kingdom wasn't going to defeat the Roman army But this kind of kingdom can defeat sin in your life. It can defeat death. It can defeat the fear of hell. It can can, can defeat the fear of the grave. And Jesus was fighting this cosmic battle, bringing rebellious children back into the family of God by making us, making peace with God, not necessarily with Israel's enemies. They missed the connection to Zechariah's prophecy who said rejoice greatly daughter of Zion shout daughter of Jerusalem see your king is coming to you righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt on the foal of a donkey you see what Jesus was doing as riding into Jerusalem this triumphal entry he was mimicking he was mimicking the triumphal entry of a general returning from war or getting an army and heading out to war. So, so he's mimicking this triumphal entry of a defeating ger- uh, general with the captives in his, in his train following behind him. And so rather than riding on a huge giant steed, the biggest horse they could find, and put the general up on top of it, Jesus is mimicking this by riding in on a little donkey. Why do we fail to recognize the glory of God? Because we fail to recognize God's glory because it is always disguised in humility. Jesus' whole life is a message of incognito glory. You see, the creator of the universe wasn't born in a castle, he was born in a cave. The creator of the universe. Came as a human, as a pauper, as a peasant. His announcement of his birth went out to shepherds, the lowliest people in the land outside of trader tax collectors. You see, though he came in humility, we must never stake his meekness for weakness because God's strength is made perfect through weakness. Interesting. I want to talk about the rest of the story after this day. You know, Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and the last week, the events happening there. goes on in John 12, verse 17, says, The crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb had raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word in many people because they had heard that he performed this sign went out to meet him. But the Pharisees said to one another, look, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world is going out after him. Because you see, Jerusalem was teeming with people who had traveled there from every direction to participate in the Passover customs. And then John goes on to write, well, there were some Greeks, some Greek-speaking believers among them who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Jesus' disciple Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, so perhaps he could understand their dialect, with a request Sir, we want to see Jesus. So Philip went to Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, went to Jesus and listened to what Jesus said to them. He replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He says, anyone who loves their life must lose it, while anyone who hates their life has to, will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. I think for many believers, sometimes that goes right over our heads. Whoever serves me, Jesus said, must follow me, follow Jesus. And where I am, my servant also will be, and my Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus goes on and he says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said that it thundered. And others said that an angel had spoken to him. Some heard it. Some interpreted it correctly. Some don't. Then a voice, I'm sorry, then Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. For now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. Where do we see the glory of God? Where can I encounter God's glory today? We encounter the glory of God when we behold the love of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. You want to see the glory of God? Talk about glory incognito, the cross. A symbol of shame, a symbol of defeat, a symbol of uh, of judgment, a symbol of sin and punishment, this is glorious? That's, that's pretty inglorious glory, isn't it? And yet the cross of Christ is the clearest demonstration of God's glory. The hour of Jesus' ultimate glorification was when he hung on the cross how counterintuitive is that? That this would be the expression of God's love for humanity. But it was the sacrifice that took place on the cross that gives it all the meaning for you and for me. I thought it was the resurrection was, you know, when we think of glory, we think of resurrection. We think of, you know, miraculous. We think of the all oh, the wow and the pop and the pizzazz and the, whoa, that's a glorious concert we were at. Oh, wow, that was a glorious, you know, uh, a hockey game. Oh, I shouldn't say that. That was a glorious, uh, <laughs> if you were an Islander fan, maybe. But <clears throat> so, so, you know, what's the glory in that? Because the hour Jesus spoke about was the cross. It wasn't the resurrection. Because here's the thing. There could be no resurrection unless there's first a death. I want all the glory, but I don't want to follow him there. I don't want to be like Paul who said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Why is the cross the apex of the revelation of God's glory? Because it was at the cross where sin was atoned, where your sin and my sin was covered over, was paid for. And I know it's a mystery, and I know it's hard to understand. Maybe another way to say it, because Jesus, while he hung on the cross, forgave the very people that put him there, It was the act of forgiveness that was greater than the act of hatred that put him there. And in the cross, we see God's demonstration that love wins over hate. Forgiveness beats hatred. And it was the greatest act of forgiveness that anyone could ever experience. And it was God forgiving humanity. And if God can forgive them, I don't care what you've done in your life in the past and you still might be paying the price of that and suffering the consequences of it, in God's eyes, if you come to God and you lay it there on the cross, it is forgiven. It is over. It is behind you. Now, that's the glory of God that says, move on from there. Have a resurrected life. Go on from there. Let that sin die. Let the old person die. Because after that, there's only a better future. That's what glory is all about. We see Jesus comes to the end of the week and has the Last Supper with his disciples. He washes his feet. It's recorded in John. He talks about how he's going to send the Holy Spirit to them. And then in John chapter 17, we see Jesus's prayer. Perhaps the prayer he prayed at the garden And he says, Father, the hour has come. Now glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might have eternal life, give eternal life to those you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And so Friday evening, I invite you to come back here as we ponder the cross of Jesus Christ. Because I expect that to be a sacred, glorious moment that we gather together for that. But how else does the incognito glory of God surface today? Listen to what Jesus went on to pray later on in that chapter, verse 20. He says, my prayer isn't just for my immediate disciples because he, he praised that before. But he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who do you think those people are? Can you raise your hand? That's me. Jesus is praying for you and me because I believed through the message of the disciples. So now... Jesus is looking toward the future of what would happen through the gospel being preached by his disciples. And he prayed for all those who would come to believe in him. And that means you and me, right? What was his prayer? That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. Wow. Wow. He goes on and he says, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, so the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. So I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. What does glory look like today? Where do we find glory today? How do we experience glory today? Look around. Look around you. Look in the mirror. (laughs) Come on. That perhaps might be the hardest statement to believe that I've made all day today. Ask the band to come up. And as they do, I want you to listen carefully because this is the big point that Jesus is making. Right now, in our world today, the place to see glory is in the followers of Jesus Christ. You and I are the incognito conduits of God's glory to the world today. And so, when you look into the eyes of a follower of Jesus, you are beholding God's glory incarnate in the flesh. We are the incarnate glory of God to the world today. And you're saying, well, that seems pretty glorious." if that's the case. And that's where we fail to recognize the glory of God when we see it. Because the glory of God is what Jesus gave to you and me so that the world could see God's love in practice, in reality, in expressions. (coughs) We beheld God's glory when the word became flesh and dwelt among us and now we are the incarnation of God's glory in the world. So can you do me a favor? I want you to turn to somebody next to you and look them in the eye and say, "You are glorious." Now don't say you are you look marvelous. I'm not saying that. I mean you can say that too if you want. I'm saying, "You are glorious." You are glorious. You are glorious. I am glorious. Say that, I am glorious. I have the glory of God. Well, it doesn't feel like it. I don't care what it feels like. God says it. The scripture says it. Jesus said it. He gave it to you. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, you are a container. You are a repository of the glory of God. And that repository is no good if you hoard it if you keep it to yourself, the only way it works is if you give it away to others, if you pour it out to others. And so we encounter the glory of God every time we express God's love to somebody. Every act of sacrificial love, every demonstration of forgiveness, every wrong that is made right is an encounter with glory. You are a vessel that must be poured out. Sometimes that takes sacrifice. No, let me say it, every time it takes sacrifice. The thing about it is though, every time you give it out, every time you sacrifice it, God pours it back in. God pours it back in. I have a friend, Hal Donaldson, who uh, was a journalist years ago. 25 years ago, as a journalist, he went to India to interview Mother Teresa. And so he did his job, and he was sitting with this little frail Albanian nun with dying people around her that she's caring for. And At the end of the interview, she, he asked her all the questions that a journalist would ask. She says, I just have one question for you. When Mother Teresa asks you a question, your ears perk up. She said, what are you doing to help the poor? And he had to think. Um, Nothing really. And she says, oh, oh, son, everybody can do something to help the poor. That encounter turned his life in a different direction. It was a glorious moment. out of that encounter the Convoy of Hope was born this ministry that we partner with that is now feeding 200,000 children every day around the world in the poorest places of the world responding to emergency disaster giving relief to people that are hurting and on and on and on Paul said whatever you do whatever you do Do it for the glory of God. He wrote elsewhere. He wrote elsewhere saying, you know what the mystery of Christ is? You know what the mystery of the gospel is? The mystery is this. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Do you get that? Do you hear what I'm saying? Can we recognize the glory that's in this place right now? Because it's in every one of us. We carry around the glory of God in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit prompts us to go in the direction that's going to lead us to our better selves, a better future. But it also prompts us to help others to get there too. It is never just for us. It is never to be hoarded. It is always through us. To us and through us. Mark Gepard, another friend of mine. Many of you know Mark. Another one of the ministries that we support, S-E-A-P-C, that's part of what the Coins for Kids is going to help uh, something that came through Mark's ministry. Mark has a motto and his motto is simply this. God, I want to do your will in your way, in your time, with your results, for your glory. I want to do your will in your way for your results for your glory in your time he said too and so my question is are you an open vessel for the glory of God today so I'm not worthy that's not what I'm asking I'm not asking are you worthy because none of us are worthy in and of ourselves but Jesus makes you worthy well I don't know if I can do it well you never know until you try Your self-defeating thinking, your lack of recognizing the glory that you have is what keeps you from stepping forward. And so are you an open vessel for the glory of God today? That you could be a conduit of God's glory tomorrow in your workplace, in your family, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your recovery. In whatever it is that you're doing, can you be a conduit of glory? And I guarantee you, and you are, your life will never be better. Your life will never be better. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we need an encounter with your glory right now, and I just want to hold my hands out, and I want to say, give it to me, Lord. Give it to me, Lord. Give me to me. I need your glory. Shine your light in my heart. Pour your spirit out on me. Pour your spirit out on us. May this community of faith we call Riverside be a place where the glory of God flows in and flows out. May it flow in and flow out. May we be receptacles of your glory. May we be containers of your glory. And may we be conduits of your glory so that the world may know that you love them as you have loved us. In the name of Jesus, if there's anyone here today that Just needs to come to you or come back to you. Today's a great day to do that. Today's a great day to say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for just doing my own thing and not thinking about you. Forgive me for just living life as if you don't even exist. Forgive me, God, for writing my own story, then seeing how I fit into your story. Help me, Jesus, I pray to be a follower of you. I realize that this is a high and holy calling. And I need your spirit to help me do that. So Spirit of God, I invite you in my heart. I invite you in my life. I want to be your follower. Forgive me for my sin. Help me, Lord, to see that I am glorious because it's the glory of God in me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.